0: From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to bring your Bible with you. If we're going to be the people of God, then we need to carry the Word of God. Even if you have your phone, you have a device, bust it out, get the Bible app on there. If you don't have the Bible app on there, then I challenge you to download the Bible app. Turn to Mark chapter 9, follow along with me. We're in a series discussing doubt and disillusionment and disappointment. And we're looking at stories and moments of people in the scriptures who had these moments of doubt and how those moments, as we look at them, how they can actually propel us towards greater faith, And so our first talk centered around John the Baptist. If you know who John the Baptist was, he was the forerunner for Jesus. He really presented Jesus to Israel. He was a man who probably was the first faith-filled man. In fact, in his mother's womb, when when the mother Mary came and presented to John's mother that she had Jesus in her womb, John in the womb leapt and was filled with the Spirit. But later on in John's life, even after he baptized Jesus, he found himself in prison, and he was going to die, and he had this moment of, of doubt. Let's call it, of questioning. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask them a que- ask Jesus a question: Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one who is to come? And we learn from John that in those moments of deep questioning, is we can actually bring those to Christ. We can bring those to God. Then we looked last week at Peter. Jesus had asked his disciples who they think that he is. And Peter makes this profound statement that he's the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And it was that confession that Jesus would build the church upon. Uh, Jesus makes this incredible statement to to Peter that this was not just his own doing, but this was something that was revealed to him by the Father. And then Jesus drops this bomb. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over to the elders and the chief priests and and I'm going to die, and then I will live again. And Peter responds, more or less, by saying, no way, Jose, because he had, and the disciples had, expectations of how they believed the Messiah was to operate, and that was not in line with their expectations. And we talked about how doubt can often surface when our expectations of God aren't met. And today we're going to look at doubt or disillusionment in desperation. And we're going to look specifically at a story of a father who desperately wants to believe, but his faith is weak. And I, I like to believe that if we're real with ourselves, we have those moments where we want to believe, but our faith is a little weak. So would you bow your heads with me as we begin? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the gathering that we're here today together, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we're blessed that we can come and worship you, that you are worthy of worship. And as we turn our attention, God, to this scripture, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us? You know our path. You know our journey. You know where we're at. So would you speak to us as only you can in Jesus' name? Would you turn those moments of desperation into hope as we come to you? Lord, as we'll learn in this scripture, would we be like this Father who comes and says, help us in our unbelief? Lord, we commit the hearing of your word to you. We commit our ears to you, our hearts, our lives, in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 9, we're gonna look at verse 20, starting in verse 20, all the way to about 26. It says this So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, "How long has he been like this?" From childhood, he answered, "It has often thrown him into a, into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us." If you can," said Jesus, "everything is possible for the one who believes." Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running toward the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never leave him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. We'll continue reading. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, And he stood up. Think about, if you would, think about the last time you were extremely desperate. Bring that to the the front of your mind if you can. And I'm not talking about light desperation. I'm talking about, like, you'll quite literally, you're so thirsty, you'll drink muddy water. Like, you'll, you'll put your lips to a puddle on the ground and drink. I'm talking the kind of desperate that you're in so much pain, you'll quite literally take anything. Like all amount of reason and judgment are gone. You're just in survival mode. I don't know if you've heard of the story of the outdoorsman named Aaron Ralston, I believe his name was. There's a movie made after him called 127 Hours. He's a, he's a climber, he's an outdoorsman, he's a hiker, and he found himself literally caught between a canyon wall and a giant boulder. And for days alone, with no one knowing that he was there, he stood trapped, until he became so desperate as he was dying that he quite literally sawed off his arm with a rusty pocket knife. That's desperation. Desperation can cause us to do some pretty crazy things. But I believe places of desperation can also drive us to faith. Faith. Though we may doubt the things of God, desperation can actually kindle up in us a desire to believe in greater things. You know, we've been talking about doubt and we're talking about disappointment. And a lot of doubt stems from being let down or being disappointed God doesn't show up the way you expect or faith isn't what you had thought it was, but there's something in desperation that can turn the tide. It's often the the desperate moments that drive people to Jesus and ignite hope. And many will say, well, that's not true faith. Because really you're just looking at faith and you're looking at Jesus and you're looking at religion as a crux. And so therefore religion or faith is just a construct of the weak. But psychologists have actually said that desperation is a child of hope. Now, I think this sounds a little counterintuitive because if you look up the word desperation, it quite literally means state of despair. Hopelessness. You lose your job and you begin to ask, can God really provide? The diagnosis that you've received, it's not getting any better. The health concerns it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. Does God really heal Your marriage is hanging by a thread. Does he truly reconcile all things? Your mental health is wreaking havoc. Does God really care? And these are questions that we can ask in these moments of hopelessness. But in these moments, I think we really want to believe. We just need some help. We just need some help. And this is how desperation can fuel faith and drive hope. So let's look at this story text Line by line, this is a moment where Jesus meets a father in a desperate place. This father's son is possessed by a demon and it's causing him to have epileptic like seizures. And so the father brings the son to Jesus' disciples. He had heard about Jesus, he had heard about the things that Jesus had done, he heard about the disciples. Because Jesus, just a few chapters earlier, he actually sent out the disciples with the authority to cast out demons. So this man, with a son who's demon-possessed, brings it to the disciples. Nine of the disciples at the time, the other three with with Jesus. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't cast out the demon. And then Jesus shows up, and he's informed of what happens. It says in verse 20, so they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, and he rolled around, foaming at at the mouth. The unholy recognize the holy. In fact, if you look at a lot of the stories in the Gospels, the demons actually recognize, the the impure spirits, the evil spirits recognize who Jesus is before the people. In the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus tells us that even demons believe there is one God and they shudder. Part of the reason that the devil would love for you to remain in despair And doubt and disillusionment is he knows who God is. He recognizes what God can do for you. He knows what Jesus is capable of. And so, if he can keep you in that place, he can keep you from the very person who offers you full freedom. The Spirit recognized Jesus and it sent the boy into a convulsion. And so, the enemy, what he'll quite literally do to you is he'll lie to you, he'll deceive you, he'll twist and manipulate the scriptures, the truth in order for you to remain in that state. Well, that's not really what that scripture means. Did God really say? You know, when they prayed for that person, they say that person was healed, but are they really healed? I don't know if they look healed to me. He knows, the enemy knows, the closer you get to Jesus, the more free in your body and in your spirit and in your mind you become. If you want to take steps towards freedom from despair, from hopelessness, you need to take steps towards Christ. Unfortunately, it's in those moments we often, even as believers, we do the opposite. We draw away from Christ. Right? We're in that dark headspace. We're doubting, we're uncertain, and so we draw away when the gospel quite literally tells us to do the opposite. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And if God isn't who he says he is, if God isn't who he says he is and, and he can't do what he promises he can do, if this is all just a bunch of fantasy and fable, then you're going to know that most clearly the closer you get to it. Right? Right? Because the the closer you are to something, the clearer it becomes. But the opposite occurs when you draw near to Christ. The closer to him I move, not to religion, not to church services, not to church organization, not to Christians. The closer I move to Jesus, the greater the freedom I actually begin to experience. Even if circumstances around me still remain the same, my perspective, my heart, my disposition towards it shifts because I've moved closer to the source of freedom. So Jesus asked the father, he says, how long has he been like this? He sees the boy, he says, how long has this been going on? From childhood, he answered. Now we don't know how old this boy was, but we know that this is not a new thing. Obviously, this has been going on for quite some time. And this is not the first time the Bible actually talks about the duration of a condition. Mark states that the woman with the issue of blood suffered for 12 years. 12 years before she experienced healing in Jesus. Luke notes that, the, that a woman who was, had a disabling spirit had one for 18 years. John speaks of one man who had been an invalid for 38 years and another one who was blind from birth. See, God doesn't always expect, or God doesn't always heal how we expect, but when He does, He's not constrained by how long we've been in it. Sometimes we think, well, God, I've been going through this for a long time. It's just, it's just the way it is. You know, I've been dealing with this health thing, I've been battling this struggle, I've been, I've been you know, stuck in this addiction. This has been going a long time. God can't help me. Clearly he hasn't. I've been doing this, it's been 20 years. All my life, God hasn't shown up. He's not going to do anything now. Well, God is not constrained by time. You may have been dealing with something for a long time, but God does not deal based on how long you've been dealing with it. He's not bound by how long you've been bound. So I thought to myself, I thought, why would Jesus ask this? Why would Jesus ask the Father, how long has he been like this? And I've got a couple thoughts for you. The first is this. The longer the wait, the greater the blessing. The longer the wait, the greater the freedom. Elsewhere, Jesus said in the scriptures that those who, who have been forgiven little love little. But those who have been forgiven much... They've had a great amount of sin, and and God has forgiven them. They love more because they know what they've been forgiven from. And in the same way, the longer we have suffered with something, the greater gratefulness we have when we've been freed. The longer in agony, the greater the testimony, the greater the faith, the greater the glory. If this father said, well, it just started yesterday. It just started yesterday. I heard what you could do. I thought, you know, on the way home, we just get a little miracle or two. And if, God, if that was the case, and if God, Jesus, healed this son, the father might have been grateful in the moment, but then he would have moved on with his life. It wouldn't have stirred in him any faith. Could it be, though, that God allows us to suffer through so that on the other end is greater faith? Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 says this. Paul to the church in Rome, he says, We glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. So the scriptures declare that suffering actually leads to hope. Desperation can actually lead us to hope. Secondly, I think Jesus asked this because he cares. He has compassion. He's not just waving magical wands around to anyone who comes near. You get a miracle, and you get a miracle, and you get a miracle. Check under your seat, everyone. Everyone who gets a miracle under their seat, that's not who Jesus is. He actually wants to know this man's story. He wants to know the boy's story. And he wants the man to know that he wants to know. How long has he been like this? You all know that, that those who listen really well, you feel the most cared for from. Like When someone's just stopping and listening to you tell or, or share the details of whatever it is, you feel really cared for, am I right? Someone who doesn't have active listening skills, maybe you know, their eyes are up here, they're not looking at you, or they're checking their phone. You don't feel cared for. But we feel cared for from those who listen. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He cares. He has compassion. I imagine in that question, as the father heard him say, How long has he been like this? That the father might have heard, How long have you watched your son suffer and felt so hopeless? Like, I see you. This must be really hard for you. Like Jesus knows. Like we read elsewhere that he knows the thoughts of people before they say them. He knows how long. So why does he ask? Because he cares. He cares. So the father continues, he says, it's often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. And I just want to pause here. I wanted to note something because sometimes someone's disbelief of God or their doubt in the scriptures is because the Bible attributes something to Satan that maybe through medical advancement we've discovered is just something like a neurological disorder. So we look at epilepsy, and some will say, well, you know, in the scriptures, they just thought it was demonic oppression. But now we know that that's just a neurological disorder. Well, that's not what the scriptures are saying here. The scriptures are not saying that sickness, the root of all sickness, is demonic influence. Actually, elsewhere in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, uh, Matthew is describing those who have come to Jesus to be healed by Jesus. And he he differentiates between those who have seizures and those who are actually possessed by a demon. What what Mark is describing here is just that this demon happens to be causing the boy to have epileptic like seizures. He's not stating that epilepsy is from demonic oppression or demonic possession. So what the boy is doing is, or what the the demon is doing, is causing the boy to have these seizures and throwing him into fire or water to harm him. But listen to the reluctance of the father. It's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, he's reluctant, likely for a few reasons. One, he's already gone to the nine disciples and they couldn't do anything. So let's let's just pause there. He's done the God thing. He's tried the prayer and deliverance. He's tried God's authority through God's authority and God's people. The men who literally walked with Jesus could do nothing for this son. Now, if we were like to fast forward, and this was today, he's gone to the church. He's had the pastor and the the elders pray for him. He's listened to the messages, and nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. What made things worse is that before Jesus showed up, is the religious teachers at the time were criticizing the disciples. And arguing with them. So here's this man who's desperate. He just wants his son free. He just wants freedom. And he's stuck between powerlessness on the disciples' part. And and critical thoughts on the religious teachers' part. He's caught in the middle of this feud. You know, people can often become disillusioned with the Lord and with church. And with Christianity because of what they see in people. We can project onto God our experiences with people. We have a bad experience in a church. We have a bad encounter with a pastor. We have some weird theology presented to us. And so we just throw out everything. We're seeing that a lot in our culture right now. People are deconstructing their faith. God mustn't be real because of my encounter with so-and-so. And And we want to attribute it to so-and-so, but really that's what it is. Our experiences with people, we've projected that onto God. Sometimes, sometimes professing Christians act like fearful, powerless hypocrites. Come on, you know that to be true. Sometimes, like the teachers of the law, we're critical in the church. The things that we don't understand. But the reality is people aren't perfect. Churches aren't Perfect. If you came here to find a bunch of people who are perfect and live their lives perfectly, this is the wrong house. I don't know everybody's story, but I know enough stories. I know my story. Those who follow Christ are growing to be like him. The disciples were growing to be like him. There's still going to be some gaps and holes. So to know what Christianity is all about, to know the power of God, we need to look to Jesus, not to men. Our faith rests in God, not others. Now, the other side of this coin is for those of us who are a part of the church. I don't want to dwell here too much, but is people often become disillusioned with God because of what they see in me. I'm not talking about me, Pastor Call. I'm talking about me because of what they see in us. So therefore, to the best of my ability, I need to be presenting Christ. Because I don't want someone's encounter with me to lead them from Christ. I want them to, it to lead them towards Christ. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I have all things together. Doesn't mean I'll have all the answers. But I want that experience to point to Jesus. So the father's reluctant. Now I want you to read it. I'm going to read it again. I want you to hear the Desperation. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is a father who wants to believe. He's had bad experiences. The disciples who had authority to cast out impure spirits could not cast out this impure spirit. So here he is with Jesus. He wants to believe. He's helpless, he's hopeless, he's got disbelief that God can do this, but his desperation is pushing him towards belief. He's at the end of his rope, but here he is with Jesus. Is anybody there? Is anybody at the end of the rope? You're in a desperate spot. You've tried it all. You've done it all, and nothing has worked. It's those places that God can actually stir in us hope that God can actually show up. I don't know how many people I've, I've sh- talked with, and the, their story said literally when there was nothing else that could be done, that's when God showed up. That's when the miracle happened. I, I recall a story when I was a youth pastor. I had this youth leader who was a, you know, at the time maybe about 23, 24, and she had this debilitating back. Quite literally looked like an old lady at 24 years old as she walked. Doctors, literally every specialist from, you know, down to Windsor all the way to Toronto had done everything, and everyone said, there's nothing we can do. And it was until the final nail was in the coffin, they said, there's nothing, you're just going to have to live with this. She was at a conference, and two teenagers came over and said, God told us that we were going to pray for someone, and that person would be healed, and we think it's you. And so in the intermission of the conference, not in the worship service, not at the altar call, not when the pastor preached, literally she's hobbling to the bathroom. They prayed for her and she was healed. The next Sunday, she's running down the altar because it's in those moments when we've got nothing left. If we're actually in a moment with Jesus, he can actually do some miraculous things. So here's this father who's in a desperate situation. Nobody can do anything. He's watching his son quite literally be on the point of death. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And he says, if you can do anything, have pity on us. He wants to believe. Does somebody want to believe? Does somebody want to believe? Jesus' response, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. So Jesus acknowledges his thinking, but then he corrects it. Notice that he doesn't say, yeah, I can do that. He didn't say, everything is possible for me. If you can, I can do everything. He doesn't say that. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. This is the word from Jesus. Listen to what else Jesus said elsewhere. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. He says again, if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus when speaking to two blind men who asked for mercy said, "Do you believe that I am able I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this?" Matthew 19, he says, with God, all things are possible. When Peter was walking on water, quite literally walking on water, and he starts to look around, and he sees the waves, and he sees the storm, and he begins to sink, Jesus reaches out to him and doesn't say, oh, man, you didn't trust me. He says, you of little faith. This is not like prosperity gospel stuff. This is not genie in the bottle, you know, name it and claim it, and you can have your wish list. This is not like I want a mansion on the river, Jesus, in Jesus' name. This is like miraculous moments of healing and deliverances. Jesus, though, here presents that it's not a question of whether God can or can't, or God will or won't. It's a question of whether I believe it or not. It's not about If he can or can't, it's about whether I believe he can or can't. Just so you know, he can do it even if you don't believe it. Even if you don't have faith in it, it doesn't change God's ability. His ability is always there. By definition, just so you know, God is not his name. That's his title. If we're looking at the Old Testament, his name is Yahweh. Yahweh. He has many names. God is his title. So by definition, he can do all things. So it's not a question of can God do this? It's can I do I believe it? Like, do I have the faith in me and believe in it? Jesus, I just like, imagine him going, like, if you can. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is way more compassionate and kind than I am. And I'd be, I'd probably be a little cocky about it. I'd be like, who's this guy? If you can. Everything, everything is possible, he says, for the one who believes. And listen, that's not my words. That's not just pastor's words. That's not just some disciple saying that. That is Jesus. That's like red letter Bible. Everything is possible for the one who believes. He turns it around on him. Do you believe that he can do and will do what he says he can do? See, my desperation will actually believe or actually reveal what I actually believe. Like we can come to church, we can worship when things are going well, but it's when we're in those desperate spots that actually reveals what we believe. But the beautiful thing about it is it actually can stir in us something. So Jesus turns it around on him. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you believe. He's giving him the key He's giving the, fa- the Father in this, the ability. See you will only see the power of God displayed in and around your life to the level to which you believe and have faith for the power of God to be displayed in and around your life. And that doesn't mean that you have to, in that moment, be like, "Oh, I have faith for the power of God. Like look at this father. If you can do anything, take pity. Like he's desperate. And this is what he says. His response, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my disbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. A beautiful display of humility and vulnerability, the father gives to Jesus what little faith he has alongside of his doubt. The Bible says that all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can move mountains. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It's not about getting more faith. Why You, you just must not have enough faith. That's why, you ever heard, you, somebody ever said that to you, you don't have enough faith, that's why you're not seeing God's, shame on them for saying that because Jesus said, you, just, you need a little ounce. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? They're tiny. Jesus literally quietly was saying, you don't need a pool. You don't need an ocean. You just need a little seed. It's tiny. But what the Father in this story shows us is that we just need to give that to Jesus. What faith you have alongside your disbelief and doubt is you just give it to Jesus. The problem is sometimes we sit there and we say, Well, I don't have enough faith. I don't know. But here's this father, he says, I do believe. He just said, If you can, if you can do anything, I do believe. I've just watched the disciples not do. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. He may not be able to understand or wrap his head around it all, the power of God, the authority of Jesus, but he's trusting Jesus' heart here. I don't understand, but I want to believe. Stir in me faith. Is somebody hearing this this morning? Somebody here, and you're like this father. I want to believe, but I need some help. I just want to believe in Christ, but I need some help. I want to believe this God thing, but I need some help. I'm in this desperate spot. I got nothing left. I need a miracle. I want to believe that God can provide for me. I just need some help. This father shows us that we can bring that to Christ. Literally, what this Father shows us is is what God wants from us. He just wants all of us. He doesn't just want your worship. He doesn't just want your holiness. He doesn't just want your servitude. He wants your limitations. He just wants you to come say, I don't don't know if I even believe, but I want to believe. I need you have what I need. I, I just need help. It's the vulnerability, church, it's the humility. To say, I don't even know, but I, if you can, I'm just, I'm desperate, man. And it's that place when we lay it all on the table for Jesus that he can actually kindle in us hope. And I think that's what psychologists were onto when they say that desperation is a child of hope. Because it can stir something in us, it can fan the flame of faith. And some of us just need to fan that flame by bringing that little ounce of faith and the limitations and the doubt and laying it on the table. Now, this likely was in the presence of many people. This wasn't like a private room. This wasn't just like, you know, he closed the door, made sure no one was around and said, Jesus, come over here. I don't want anybody to see. Like, he's desperate. Like, he, pride is gone. People are watching, <laughs> Right? Disciples, bystanders, religious teachers of the law. Literally everybody's watching. He's like, I just want it. I need it. I watch some people in church today. I'm not just saying people in our church. I'm not saying people in Parkway, but some people in Parkway. I watch people who claim to follow Jesus, but they have these things. These big things they have yet to bring to him. You want to know why? Because of pride. Pride. Yes, our our health is failing us. It's debilitating. Our 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 situ our relationship is falling apart. But our pride is too big. Because I care more about you wouldn't say this. I care more about what people think of me than I actually do receiving the blessing, the healing, the miracle. I don't. I'm not, I'm not gonna do any altar call. This is not. I'm not stirring, of the pump for an altar call here. But are you willing to get before 100 people and say, I'll do anything for this? I'll have all 100 people lay hands on me if I need to. That's desperation. That's when you're like that outdoorsman you're ready to saw off your arm because you'll do quite literally anything. And that's where this father was at. He's at the end of his rope. He has some doubt, but he doesn't care. He just needs help with his unbelief. So we're going to do something to end and to close a little bit different, partly because I'm the only instrumentalist today. It was a perfect storm. I'd call up the team, but then I'm going back there. (laughs) So I've asked the guys at the back if they would put on a little music for us. And I don't know your story, and I don't know where you're at, but maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now and nudging you and tugging at you and saying this is for you. Can you bring that to Christ? Just in this moment. And I know you can bow down in your in your chair, you can come to the front. Whatever that looks like for you. I'm not twi- like notice Jesus didn't twist anybody's arms. He didn't say come to the front. Right? Just 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 you and Jesus. People are in the room, yes. But you and Jesus, can you just bring that to him? Can you say I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief? I want to believe. I'm desperate. Here's my thing, whatever it is, and push aside your pride. Yes, you're big boys and big girls, right? But push aside your pride and just in humility and vulnerability say, Jesus, I need help. Can we do that just for a few moments? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we commit just these moments. And I pray that you'd stir the hearts of those who need to just come right now and lay those things at your feet and bring the desperation to you, would you kindle up and stir up hope and faith in those who need help with their doubt in Jesus' name? Come on, let's just spend a few minutes in prayer. if this is something new to you, listen, God can hear you with this. You don't need any special words. You don't need any special phrases. Just talk to him. I want to believe. I want to believe you can come through for my family. I want to believe that you can heal this health issue. I want to believe that you can provide. I just need some help. Father, you see every person and you know every situation, Lord. God, I pray that you'd stir and kindle up some faith where where it needs to be kindled and stirred. You'd draw, Lord, people to yourself in the name of Jesus. You'd remind us that it's just a small amount of faith, a tiny amount of faith that is required to see the miraculous happening around our lives. So Lord, we lay our doubt, we lay our disbelief at your feet. We proclaim we do believe we need some help. Lord, I pray for Parkway Church. You'd stir this body of Christ to be people who push aside our pride and in humility and vulnerability, God, just come to you and chase after you and open ourselves up to the things, God, that you want to do in and around our lives. In Jesus' name. You know, with every head bowed, nobody looking around, if you're here today, you know, God's really stirring your heart, and maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus. You've never given to, to, to your life to him as Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you your sin and to, to identify with the family of God, and you're here today, and that There's something stirring in you that says, I need Jesus, I need to commit my life to Jesus. Nobody look around, would you raise your hand? Even if you're online, you can put your hand up with a little emoji hand there. Nobody looking around, just acknowledging that. Or maybe you're here and you you haven't been following the path. You haven't been walking with the Lord you haven't been chasing after christ you've believed but it's kind of been like what james talks about demons they believe and they shudder but you've not really been following the family of god but you're here today and you're like i want to restart that faith i want to rekindle that faith i want to walk with god again raise your hand no one looking around thank you thank you father you see every heart or those who want to recommit their faith just want to give their lives to you. Lord, I pray in their heart and their mind, they'd say those, those words, they'd come to you, they'd draw to you, they'd ask for forgiveness of their sin, they'd receive you as Lord and Savior, and they'd choose to follow after your way to live for Christ. So come into their life, rekindle that faith, and let this be the beginning of a fresh new life in Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I look at the stories, we got one more story that we're going to look at regarding doubt. But as I look at this, the stories, like there is, there's scriptures that speak of that we need to not doubt, but there's something about God as a father who says, come to me in your moments of despair and disillusionment. John the Baptist, Peter, this father. He will help you. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Not some things, not certain things, everything. And the one thing you can do, you, you, can't, you can't go before God and say, Well, Pastor Call said, because I'm, I'm imperfect. But you can go before God and say, You said. You can hold him to his promises. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Hey, listen, God bless you today. I pray this week that you're filled with love and filled with hope and and any despair or helplessness would leave. And God's spirit would surround you, protect you, and lead you forward in Christ. I pray that joy would fill you this week. Joy, and that would give you strength in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening.